sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Into the great Scott show on a give me all you got Friday. Joining me now, Saints and Pelicans correspondent over there in the Crescent City, host of the Sports Hangover, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans, Gus Cattengale. He is uh, in the gym right now as he talks to us. I think he's doing some curls for the girls or at least working on it. All right, finish up that last rep, Gus. Get it in. I'm going to be your trainer while we're talking sports here. You got it. You got to get it up. All right. Now it's on the rack. Good morning. What's happening? I'm uh, trying to catch my breath. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, NBA Finals last night. How stunned were you by the way that fourth quarter unfolded in the moment? Yeah, you know, it's... Kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the week when you came on our show and talked about it last week, man. This Celtics team, you heard, you know, DACA, the head coach after the game, you know, kind of say that finals experience is overrated. This team just sort of plays with that I don't give a weep attitude and they could be physical. And, you know, if you almost watch them play Warriors basketball with the passing, the assisting, the quick, you know, pass to the open guy in the corner for the three. But they got that size, man, and man, it's crazy. And you, you take a look at just uh, the scoring. You know, you, you go into that finals and so much of that storyline was where it would be for Jason Tatum, and yeah, twelve points. He was three of seventeen. I mean, it was yeah, like exactly. I, I don't. I, I just don't know how it 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 could have played out better for Boston to get a win where. They win the fourth quarter 40-16. to 16. They do it with Jason Tatum having a, a bad game by his standards, 3 of 17 from the field. Marcus Smart was on the bench for more than two-thirds of the fourth quarter when they really started making that, you know, just uh, a comeback that went from comeback to, oh, my God, now they're just kicking their rears. And now, you know, you've, you're playing up. You get a game on the road where Golden State hadn't lost at home this postseason, and now you're going into game two thinking, man, if Tatum plays a little better. I mean, that's 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 an optimistic way of looking at it. Golden State, on the other hand, is like, look, we, we did what we had to do for three quarters. We just completely fell apart in the fourth. I That's one thing about this year's Golden State team, Gus, that you've seen it at times, right? They 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 think that teams are gonna roll over because maybe there was a period of time there where Golden State was so dominant years ago, when 
you know, you get up, they get up a lot on somebody and, and, and they just kind of crush a team's will. That's not happening, right? I mean, they they were up 3-1 to one on Memphis thinking, oh, Memphis ain't going to do anything here in, in, you know, game six. I mean, they, this series is over. And Memphis just completely ran them out of the gym, just, just annihilated them, right? You have Boston last night with that third quarter from Golden State. You're heading into the fourth, and they just let up for a second. And Boston made them pay in a big way. When you've got Derek White Jr., Al Horford, and Marcus Smart combining for 15-23 from beyond the yard, and the defense of Boston locking down and Peyton Pritchard guarding Steph Curry in the fourth and slowing him down extremely. It was like Golden State, they were like a prize fighter that just, they let their guard down just for a second and then they got knocked out in the face. That's what that fourth quarter felt like. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think the one thing that this Boston team has shown, Scott, they got, like I said, they got that attitude, man. They got that fight in them. And, um, they truly don't believe uh, that they can't win a game. And I was just a calm and demeanor. You know, like one of the things I was talking about yesterday on the show was to the fact that I was pretty incredible. Is that, you know, they have what, 100 something plus years in the 200 games of finals experience combined in trios. Of the Warriors do in Green, Thompson, Curry, but Boston as a team has 581 games of playoff experience. Now, I understand it's not the finals, but in a playoff game, Scott, especially against a good team, you're probably going with six, seven games in the series. You're probably going to have games within that series where you're up and you lose, or you're down and you come back to win, or you have games where your best player doesn't play well. You have games where there's injuries. You have so in 581 games, you probably have gone through it all, right? And, and it's kind of what you just described. Um, oh, okay, Jason's off today. Somebody else steps up. Uh, somebody else's opportunity. And I, I think all that experience does pay off to it. And again, I, I go back to something that you just brought up on my show. I've been bringing up. There's something. I wouldn't say off, but something that you can, I think, point to with this Warrior team, whether it's when he got smoked by Memphis or you see some teams kind of get under their skin. And, you know, Matt Riser, coach of the Southeast Alliance, was on our show yesterday, and he said it's important for his team to play with emotion, but not emotion, no. And, 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 and I think that applies to sort of what you see with the Warriors, right, where they don't make a shot. And even early in that game, the second quarter before halftime, you saw a foul from Steph Curry. He clearly was a foul. And, you know, I mean, he, he hits the guy on the arm, driving to the basket, and then he's, you know, the mouthpiece is out, and he's just getting all caught up. And you almost wonder sometimes if they play too emotional with it, and that's hard for you to kind of, um, you know, keep your emotions in check, if that makes any sense, right? They, yes. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't respond well. Now, you know, a caller called in the first segment. He said, I'm not going to overreact to one game. As you know, I picked Golden State in five. I'm not feeling great about that right now. I don't know that we're going to have a gentleman's sweep, but it is just one game. I, I don't know that, that that Golden State is – we have we have enough of a sample size from them to know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that they're going to – if they if the same situation, if a similar situation were to arise – I don't think they're going to be like, oh, God, here we go again. I think they're going to approach the fourth quarter a bit different. You know, um, you know, Steph Curry said afterwards, look, I, 
I believe in who we are and how we deal with adversity, you know, how we responded so far in the playoffs after a loss. So a lot to learn from the fourth quarter. But they made a lot of shots, and they did. They they hit a lot of shots that, you know, the idea of make or miss league simplifies so much more of what the game of basketball truly is. But for argument's sake, it it, it at least at the start of that run for the fourth, that's what it felt like. I mean, Boston's getting some open looks from guys like Al Horford from beyond the arc who – my friend Norm said his, his his shot looks like he's shooting a musket. Uh, but when they go in, man, I mean, Horford's been clutched for him all postseason, and Derek White went off last night. And you know, whenever whenever you're, it's one thing. Look, I think you need your your stars to play well to win a series, especially in the finals, and you need a few role players to step up. The fact that Boston didn't really get it from their star last night and their top star, obviously, and still win the way they did, it was. It was the most lopsided fourth quarter in the history of the NBA Finals. Like that, statistically, it was just, I mean, Jalen Brown, he was a big part of it, and he scored 24 points in the game. But I um, I don't know, man. I, I it, there, That first game, how will we look back at it, you know, when this Finals is over? I don't know. Is it going to be kind of like, oh, man, remember how – weird that was in game one and the or is it going to be man it gave us all of the signs we needed to see everything right in front of us about who would win this series how do you think we're going to look back at game one when the nba finals ends is it going to be telling is it going to be oh man game one was kind of good but are we going to remember some other games in this series a lot more than last night well I, quite honestly that first game is how what we've seen in this postseason man it's just nuts right i mean I think I even brought it up to you. Oh, three balls, so important. And Austin's going to jack them up. You know, Golden State's going to jack them up. That's kind of what they're known for. And it really is. It's almost like, you know, throw up a volume of shots and see how they stick. So I think we're going to look back at it as, you know, two things. One, it is the first piece of adversity that the Warriors uh, will face here. And it, it all of a sudden makes that game too crucial. Here's the other thing. After winning the first game of the best of seven series, they won 14 straight. So they didn't win game one. So that adds something different to it. You look at also how important game ones normally are. If they go down 2-0, that's, that's an uphill battle. And it kind of takes my theory of you know forcing Boston's higher players and having gone through a much tougher, I think, set of series to get to the finals. So, I mean, Boston, you not only pay the house money, but I'm going to go in there, you know, smelling blood in the water. And I think it absolutely helps the Celtics. Like, they don't play till Sunday. They don't play tomorrow. They play Sunday. So you're getting an extra day of rest, you know, to kind of go steal another game. And you, you put a lot of pressure on Golden State now to go and, and, and get that game, too. They have to win game, too. But you think then you're starting to add a little bit more to it. And, you know, don't think that these players don't hear and see the narratives and all that. And, you know, so many people going into that game saying, you know, Chef Curry's legacy, but things have been in the finals. And he dropped 34 points. And he did what he could do there. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's big for them. Uh, no doubt. So I, I definitely think you look back at this game and it could be a tone setter. It could be one of those games that go, hey, Boston's only win. But 
I, I think with both of these teams that can win and lose at home. I, I just we've just seen it in this, this postseason already. It's crazy. You and I have talked about this in time that the eventual winner of the NBA Finals would have gotten blown out in the quarter, blown out in the game, blown out in the half, and yet wind up being the NBA champion. Pretty strange. Yeah, it, it's you know I think it's I I, I don't mind it. I mean, I, I want more entertainment, entertaining games like we got last night. But, you know, I like that better than just, okay, one team's going to dominate for the most part throughout the postseason. ESPN Lafayette. All right, speaking of the postseason, Gus, NCAA regionals begin today. I was on your show this week talking about that. Um, LSU, Kennesaw State, right? That's tonight. Obviously, Louisiana Raging Cajuns taking on TCU. You got La Tech and Dallas Baptist over in the Austin Regional, and then you got Southeastern, the four seed. You got four teams from the state. Uh, you have four teams out of the Sun Belt, and Southern Miss will be in the Sun Belt next year. is is hosting, so that would make it five. Old Dominion's good. I mean, you've got ACC and SEC with a bunch of teams in there. You got a strong mid major in baseball who had some down years as a whole in the Sun Belt that feels like they're back on the rise in a big way. There are a lot of storylines, obviously, heading into this NCAA regional. One is, can anyone possibly keep Tennessee from winning at all because they're that dominant? What, what in your mind, before we talk about you know a couple of, of local angles in this thing, but just as a whole, what's the story heading into NCAA regionals today that you are most intrigued by? Yeah, look, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about earlier this week with you about uh, the, the level of baseball in the state, man, and what you have. And it, but one of the things that I guess has stood out to me is really also storylines and the adversity that a lot of these teams have, have sort of faced. Like I mentioned earlier, we have Matt Rise on every Thursday, and which I was in, and that guy's literally pinched me and he's starting pitching. He lost all his starting pitching most of the season and went through a uh, a long losing streak, and then went through a big win streak to kind of get caught back up, and you know lose the six to zero in elimination game this postseason. So they're not going to be too nervous about that. They went into Arkansas and won the series there earlier in the season. Um, you, you and I touched on what the Cajuns have, have sort of done as well, and you know Louisiana Tech, and you mentioned Southern Miss. Since I was talking to John Cox yesterday, the voice of the Eagles, it's the same thing. Both of these schools, and a lot of these schools in state, these non-conference games that they play or even in-conference games, you have maybe a rival here or there, and it feels like regional play. I mean, there are some, you know, games this year that you, you kind of get that sense and feeling. And, you know, Dallas Baptist is the team that swept Southern Miss. So, I mean, you just you look around and – I just think it's something I think I brought up to you, man. It's gone are the days to me where, uh, you know, regional play happens. You're like, oh, this team's in. We'll see them in the super regionals and all that. You have a lot of four seeds. You have a lot of three seeds. Um, so, like I said, TCU is the conference winner uh, that's played in Louisiana school. So, you, you have teams that are threes and fours that are good, you know, that either won their conference tournaments or um, – has earned their right to be there. So you better be ready. And I think one of the things that you're going to see that I think always matters no matter your seating or where you are, man, if you have that depth and you have that pitching that can help, it's going to be a good thing. And, you know, it's interesting how certain teams um, play 
the, the first game, you know, do they play early, do they play late? A lot of teams like to pick that early slot uh, and then have some extra time to, to rest up. And, you know, teams that have one or two pitchers, which one do you throw? Do you keep your best one for Saturday? Do you try to get off in the winner's bracket? All those different aspects of it. It's remarkable. I love it. I love this time of the year and see from everybody else. ESPN Lafayette. So you're you're a Southern Miss alum, the Hattiesburg Regional. That's sold out in a hurry. Um, LSU being there, Kennesaw State, really strong season from them. Um, then you have Army, and then of course Southern Miss as the host. It, talk about a great college baseball atmosphere. You should get it in Hattiesburg, man. You talked to play-by-play boys from Southern Miss earlier this week. Um, obviously, you know, you know, plenty of LSU fans and, and, and that baseball tradition, who, who's coming out of the Hattiesburg regional Gus? I honestly would not be surprised if Southern Miss does. And, and the reason I say that is, again, if you don't follow them, you probably... Oh, they're, they're hosting you know. for a reason, you know. They're... Right. No, but I'm saying like, especially here, I mean, look, I, I was on Fox 6 overtime show earlier this week and Madeline went to LSU and Juan, they're like, okay, you know, it's... You know, LSU is a more talented team, and they should win it. I mean, you're absolutely right. Look, there's some LSU players this week that are like, yeah, we're looking ahead. I hear you. Southern Miss has three guys that can play on – they can be a Friday starter. Yeah. Kenner Hall, their Friday starter, just one collegiate pitcher of each year. Um, that's their Friday guy. Their Saturday guy is just as good. Tops, you know, uh, could be a Friday guy. And then their Sunday guy hits, I think – 99 on the gun. The other guy hits 98 on a Saturday. So that, that's what you have, and that's a huge advantage. And my thing is this, LSU absolutely should be a team that we should be looking at as a super regional, as a hosting team, as a team that should go to Omaha with the talent and the offense they have. That's ridiculous. I mean, one through nine, you can have, you know, bombs away. I mean, we saw at Vanderbilt, they're down 6-1 shot, and the next thing you know, that they win that game 20 something. They're so a little, they're a little Jekyll they, and Hyde, aren't they? LSU, because yeah, uh, one thing... Well, that's what I was going to get into. They're, yeah. it, it's their fielding. It's their, it's right. their fielding, but right. when you literally can't get out of an inning, like in, in close game, you, you, you might need that double play, but what if that shortstop literally throws a routine ground ball like he did in the SEC tournament into the stand? I mean, it's not off the base pass, like it goes in the stand. Their fielding's and, been bad all year. The talent's there, awful. certainly offensively, but it, 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 at some point, does it catch up with them here? And, you know, I just, the atmosphere is going to be great. I think in College Station, it's going to be great as well. You have TCU, who won't have their head coach tonight. A great opportunity for Louisiana, who is, you know, um, back in the College Station Regional for the first time in 15 years, 15 years ago. Coach Matt Deggs was an assistant on the other side. He was asked about it yesterday. He downplayed it. He's like, it's not about me, right? It's about, it's about these kids, this team, this university. That's what this is about. You know, we have a great opportunity here and, you know, all of that. But they, uh, last year, A&M was arguably the most disappointing team in college baseball. Just when you look at expectations and standards, this year – no one thought they would be as good as they are. Number five overall national seed. It's almost like they're a year ahead of schedule, a young team. They're taking on Oral Roberts. You have TCU, you mentioned it, regular season champs. Then you have Louisiana who, you know, they've been in postseason mode for a while now. So they're entering the postseason having kind of been in that mindset of, look, we got to win or this thing can end. And they're just, they never say die, man. They've been down quite a bit this year. They keep fighting. 
obviously I'm I'm really interested in this regional. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on the College Station regional and which obviously, you know, you're a Southern Miss alum and, and you mentioned LSU being in that regional. Where does College Station Regional rank for you in terms of, of the ones you're gonna be keeping an eye on most this weekend? All of them. I mean, anything that has in Louisiana still, I'm keeping an eye on, too. I mean, there's so many different storylines. But, you know, to, to your point, and I spoke with Jay earlier this week as well, man, it, it, it's hard to not hear when you talk to people that cover the cadence the emotion and, and what it matters to, to be back into this, you know. And um, whether it's Matt with FLU, who had gone to a couple of regionals in a row and then you know, that, that, that missing and that longing to get back in there. Look, it's the reason Tulane pulled the trigger um, on their head coach here, Travis Jewett, you know, not, not being in for six years. You know, they, we, in a good way, have been a spoiled state when it comes to baseball. The expectation levels are high. And once you get that first taste with CWS, like, you know, the Cajuns did in the past, it's, you want to get back. It's harder now. It's tougher um, I think there's good players everywhere in the state. But, yeah, no, I can keep an eye on that. Cause I think it's one of the things, too, that you, you see is it's in those regionals, right, whether it's that one, whether it's Auburn, whether it's LA, it's an SEC school they're coaching. It's an SEC school that, that their conference basically has people in the top 25, the schools in the top 25 by, by the half dozen, if not more, pretty much most of the year. So, it is a big deal to go in there, you know, the facilities, the advantages and all that other stuff. But in, in college baseball, it's between the chalk lines there and between the dugouts. You know, you, you have a shot. You have a, a, a fight. And, you know, 27 outs, you know, get there first with the, the, the most wins. I mean, the most runs win. So I, I am keeping an eye on it because I, I legitimately think if you are playing with that extra bit and and – it helps you. And, and I think the fact that three of these four schools in the state got won the conference tournament, and that, yeah, that's, that's, some, that's some extra juice, man. You had to you had a battle, you had to get there, you had to you know, win that just to get in there. So I, I think it kind of shows the, the heart from a lot of these schools. I'm definitely keeping it up. Gus Kangiel, our guest, NCAA regionals beginning, um, shoot, in a little over an hour because – uh, the Coral Gables Regional, they're trying to beat the weather. So Miami and Canisius will um, first pitch is set for 10 a.m. Eastern. So 9 o'clock this morning for us, NCAA Regionals get underway, and uh, they will go on for, shoot, then once they start at 9, you're looking at 15 or 16 hours worth of college baseball over on ESPN+. Plus. Louisiana TCU tonight at 7. We'll talk more about that matchup and uh, the regional as a whole with Brad Topham, color analyst and UL alum. Next hour, we'll also hit on some of the other regionals. But up next, we're going to chat with Gus Cattengill about the Saints. They had OTAs, biggest takeaways, lots of chatter about Jarvis Landry, Tyron Matthew, Jameis Winston, overanalyzation of Jameis Winston. We'll get Gus's thoughts on all that and more when we come back after this. This is the Great Scott Show on a Gimme All You Got Friday. Right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We're right back right after this. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Give me all you got Friday. Gus Kattengill, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, joining us as we continue the ProNolist segment. We talked NBA Finals. We talked NCAA Regionals. Want to get his thoughts on OTAs, Gus. Saints off-season training activities. Chris Alave appears to uh, be, you know, pretty pretty good in regards to the playbook, considering it's, uh, you know, he hadn't been there that long. Jarvis Landry hit the field and looked strong. Jameis Winston has a limp, which is to be expected because he had surgery six months ago on his ACL. He's on the field, though, which is a good thing. Uh, some players are not on the field. There's a lot of ways you can go with it. I feel like OTAs are always kind of an overanalyzation, but, hey, that's what we do, right? So what is your top takeaways from OTAs? I know you've been hitting on them a lot this week on your show. I haven't talked about them quite as much, but you're over there in the Crescent City. What's the big takeaway so far for you? I, I think it's important from this aspect of it, Scott, that the last couple of years – I think the lack of it has hurt the Saints, to be honest with you. I think um, whether it was Sean saying we can go all virtual and all that, and I do think with certain players that you don't see, it's not nearly as important. But if it wouldn't be as important as I think it is, you wouldn't see then the players that are here say it's important. And you mentioned Jarvis Landry, him saying that, um, because it's important just to get familiar with, you know, the playbook and stuff. But, Guys like Demario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore, um, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram. Look, it's again, I look at history, and I think one thing that you see is Alvin Kamara, I, I think whatever he's doing is just fine for me, right? <laughs> when you can score six touchdowns in the game, Scott, however he wants to train in the offseason, it's perfectly fine for me. And again, at that position, the wear and tear of the running and all of that stuff, uh, I, I get it and I understand it. I think quarterback is more important because you need that Drew used to always say that time on task, just getting familiar. How does a guy run run out of a route? What, what's that speed, the judging of it? And even Chris Olave said it before that first OT of last week that, you know, Jameis was overthrowing him. And then they, they finally found the range, and that's what you saw last week when he connected on that 50-something-yard bomb we dropped it in the breadbasket. So stuff like that's important to just kind of get, you know, familiar with it. I think it's important that you, you, you build a bond. Again, if OTAs wasn't important, you go back to what Zach Streif and other linemen said back in West Virginia the, when they mentioned they had to clean the locker room up. And they spoke about the Super Bowl year of 09, where they knew that first week where it's just working out together, where it's just going and eat dinners. It's before they even did the OTA portion of the, the, the plays and the drills. And you remember around those times, those were the times, uh, Scott, where Sean talked, there was about a hundred, there was a hundred percent, you know, attendance and, and all of that. I think you have a veteran team, which is one of the reasons I told you to calm down and I expect that this team can compete because you do have a lot of leaders. You do have a lot of veterans. The guys like Demario Davis, I, he's fine. And again, here's the other aspect of it. We don't know if the day that we get to go there is the day that they have or have not worked out. And what I mean by that is you have seen photos and I have seen tweets of CD Deuce 
at practice and tweeting that he's going through OTAs with the honey badger. And he just wasn't there yesterday. He wasn't there last, uh, you know, Thursday when you look at other players as well. But again, having Lattimore not be there, you're seeing Alante Taylor work with the ones on that defense. Those are valuable reps running around with the Debo, the other starters and safeties, the defensive line. Look, seeing Contavious Street out there yesterday, a uh, part of it. Cam Jordan went through all the reps and work. I, all of that, to me, I think matters. Trevor Penning. You know, James Hurst wasn't there the last two days, but you know what? Trevor Penning is, you know, going through all of those reps. I, I think that's valuable. And, you know, the, the takeaways to me, you, you brought up the limb. I, I have just been laughing at the amount of people that have made an issue with that. And it's just crazy because it's brought a, a bigger I guess topic to me this week is how people view Jameis is so strange compared to maybe how they view other quarterbacks in this league. If that's Joe Burrow uh, doing that last year, uh, they're probably talking about right, it. Right, right. Oh, he's already back right. on the field. Oh, my God. What a stud. Right. Oh, you're right. You're right. And, and you're I'm right. There, and I'm sitting there. And, I'm, and believe me, that was not towards you. But it's just like nationally. I mean, Colin Coward on Tuesday or Wednesday – goes on a seven-minute rant on how Baker Mayfield is the perfect fit and his people should be trying to get him to New Orleans. And he literally Oof. gives reasons Oof. that it would apply for Jameis Winston, that they draft well, they're a good organization, they have weapons around them, he just needs to be st- stable and all that. I'm like, so why would I move from Jameis Winston? This is his third season with this offense, right? He didn't play the first one, but he learned and watched them there, Drew. He played last year, was 5-2, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, in a very held-back manner of the offense. This year's his third year going to it, and the two things I noticed yesterday is we'll go to the limp. It was a different knee brace. I've been bringing this up, and I don't see a lot of people bringing it up. What no one brought up was, to me, that limp looked more of a – of a brace thing than a knee thing. And again, if you just listen to the man, last week he said there's no pain. He said he was dropping back full speed, and that's what I kept bringing up on the show. When I see him get out of the huddle and he's dropping back, which is a lateral movement, and then stop and plant, and then deliver the football, which is all his weight going from back to front, landing on that left leg, which is the one that he had the surgery on, it's fluid and it's fast and it's purposeful. If there was a limp or there was something that would encumber you to do that, then you would be doing that in a walking manner. He didn't do that that way, which is why I was like, I wonder if it's a brace thing. And I pointed out that on that brace, you look, and it went all the way past his calf. And if you look at last week's photos, that brace has a big, like, it almost looks like you folded a a T-shirt underneath the calf, and you have it underneath there. And it was, you know, I, I think one of those braces that probably limits or restricts your movement in order to protect. That was a black brace. Yesterday, a gray silver brace is what he had, much shorter, much smaller. I would almost say that almost looks like a playing brace. Now, it could be a situation, Scott, where he's testing out different braces every week because he did say last week that protocol is a year after you're going to wear a brace. You know, he said he plans on wearing a brace during the season. And if you noticed yesterday, the Bengals tweeted OTA, and there's Joe Burrow going through work, and you notice what he's not wearing? A brace on his knee. He wore it all last year. So 
that gives you the idea and the protocol. And the, the limp was not nearly as pronounced yesterday as it was, which, again, leads me to believe it's a brace thing more than a knee thing uh, to be able to do it. Now, he didn't go in full team, quote-unquote, at the very end of practice. And that's, you know, they're going a little faster speed, but it's walk-through speed team. He's doing everything. And when I say, I mean, it's over two-thirds of the time uh, of, of what he's doing. So, um, to me, it's, it's impressive to look at that. But also, Scott, I think the of note uh, that stands out to me is uh, Marcus May. I mean, you know, obviously seeing Jarvis Landry yesterday, you know, was, was big uh, and seeing him go through it. But to me, Marcus May was your, what, your first free agent signing, right? And he was a guy that you chose to replace Marcus Williams, and he's coming back from an Achilles. And I tell you what, it's remarkable the um, where medicine is when you think of the fact that you have uh, a situation where a guy can, uh, you know, tear his Achilles and he's right back at it. So, look, he was running yesterday. I didn't see uh, a knee brace, I mean, uh, an ankle brace. I didn't see anything that, you know, looked heavily taped or anything of that nature. He's running in all those plays. So, seeing number six back there, I thought was a big, big thing because, again, he, you know, you put him there with, you know, whether it's Jameis or whether it's other guys and, and wonder how healthy they are or not to see him out there June 2nd, running around, doing all those things, I thought was, uh, was a big thing to me. ESPN Lafayette, Gus Kangel, our guest. Let me, let, let me circle back to Jameis for a second. Let's just look at it, I think, fair and objectively. Okay, he's supposed to have a limp right now. Okay. Is he is he is he going to be great this year? I have no idea. Is he going to be bad? I have no idea. I do know this. This is his opportunity this season to either be the short-term quarterback of the Saints or the long-term quarterback. This really is his audition. It got cut short last year when he tore his ACL. And to say that the injury isn't a factor, I, I wouldn't say that either. Obviously, you want to see how he comes back from this. Will it impact his game? But to say that it will or it won't right now, like some of the national media are, because he's limping, which he's supposed to, six months removed from a surgery from a torn ACL, is 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 you know that's that's silly. So I think there's, and I, I said this to you on your show. My big thing on Jameis in 2022 is the short to intermediate passes between the numbers in his career. Statistically, he has been at his best, throwing outside the numbers. He has done well throwing down the field, although he's had some turnover issues. And everybody talks about the turnover thing, so that goes without being said. He can't revert back to that. We know that. With Jarvis Landry, who I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I think he's a very good player, and I think he is the perfect receiver for Drew Brees. Now, I know Drew Brees isn't the quarterback of the Saints anymore, but, man, he would have he loved Jarvis Landry. You talk about Michael Thomas. You know how good he is on slants, right? If if Jameis Winston can excel, or at least he doesn't have to be the best ever, but if he can thrive, if he can be good, right, above average to good at those short to intermediate routes in this Saints offense, then I think, guess what? It opens everything else up. 
I mean, everyone's going to put turnovers at the top of the list. And I, I think it's just one of those things. It's just under terms and conditions of a quarterback, right? You know, you don't even, it's like when you, when you have the terms and conditions thing, when you're downloading an app, you don't read through all of it because it's just lawyers speak like the turnover thing. We know that we don't even have to like spend a ton of time on it. It goes without being said to me, that's the area. So whether it be OTAs, whether it be mini camps, whether it be training camp, whether it be the preseason, and then when the regular season starts, at the top of the list of what does Jameis have to do to be the long-term quarterback of the Saints, I think he needs to show that he can sell, he can excel in that area of the field because I think the Saints at receiver in 2022, that's where they are going to have a lot of opportunities. I know he can throw it deep to a lobby. I know he could throw it deep to Deontay Hardy. Can he consistently hit those routes that Thomas and especially Landry are going to are going to excel at? And and if the answer ends up being yes, then I think Jameis ends up going from short ter- short term to long term. That's the top of the list for me for him. The turnover thing, the 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 health thing, those to me, those are obvious. They go without being said. I want to put the emphasis on is he hitting those routes, and that's what I want to see out of him. I, I, that's that's kind of where I'm at with Jameis Winston heading into 2022. Yeah, I agree, and I think one of the things that you um. You know, you saw yesterday, too, like he um, missed some guys high on, on some of those throws in that intermediate part, like you were, you were talking about, and in the other part, you know, he threw a ball that was that, that was intercepted. And, again, a lot of that is being able to plant and getting into full speed and stuff. And, look, by the way, Deshaun Watson threw a pick. So, Tua throws a pick. And that, that was my thing that I kept saying, too, was like, I really hope we're not – you know, sitting here and every time the guy throws an interception at practice or every time he throws an interception um, in the game or something where, you know, we're literally, oh, there it is, there's this turnover thing. I, look, I, I think the one thing that's really going to help him, Scott, is the fact that you have um, really good receivers. And, you know, Jarvis Landry makes a one-handed catch yesterday. You see and you know that what Michael Thomas can do is going to be able to get open. And I think those intermediate passes and things of that nature. Look, I, I like Lucas Kroll at tight end, 6'6", six, six, man, 260-something. Uh, I, I think he should be somebody to keep an eye on as practice uh, continues and things of that nature. But what, one of the things that you look at, um, to me, that stood out, and I know you were asking me some of the things that stood out, was uh, Chris Olave not only looks the part, but my goodness, um, he's the word polished keeps popping yeah, in my head. I yeah. took a series of stills and videos that I've yet to kind of um, post, and I, and I will today. But th- there's one drill that you, you saw yesterday and, and probably some of the photos that you've seen online and stuff of, of Jarvis. It's that same drill. It's two receivers side to side, and the first thing they do is get off the line and have to get past you know an assistant or a coach or somebody that's holding you know one of those like those, those pads, whatever. You have to kind of just smack with your arms and do a swim move, kind of like press coverage, if that makes sense to you. So, and then right after that, shed it, get your hands up and catch a football that another person's throwing at you in about a you know, seven-yard distance. And you just see, like, it, it just like if I'm using just the words to describe what I see, like stability, control, power. And, you know, you just see him um, – almost look like he, he's like a defensive player getting ready to, to make a tackle, you know, get, gets out of the block. And I mean, that swim move is so fast. Yeah. His head doesn't move just perfect technique. And 
when he sheds it and he just sidesteps you and then he's gone, I mean, the hands come up immediately. You see, like, a wide target. The hands are up. The fingers are, you know, are out. And it just, it like, I it, it stood out to me. So much so that the next time he was in line, I, I took stills and video of it. I was like, he just looks different. Like it, And it's not that you didn't see it with Callaway or you didn't see it with, you know, uh, Traquan Smith and all that. It's just it, his stands out, if that makes any sense. It just stands out. It's why Jameis said smooth like the other side of the pillow or, uh, or you know, just it, he stands out, man. And, you know, Jarvis said it yesterday. It's like this guy knows the playbook. He knows all that. So, you know, that's going to help, I think, quarterbacks whether it's Jameis Winston or whoever, when you got three guys that I think will be able to get open uh, and provide a target and create space and allow you to be able to to do that, I think that's going to help. Good stuff, Gus Cattengale, our uh, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Breaking it all down, Saints OTAs. What did Jameis Winston say about Alave? He said he's as smooth as the other side of the pillow. Um, that is your OTA uh recap do we overanalyze sure that's that's all we can do with otas at this point but it doesn't mean there's not stories or factors or things to follow and i like your point gus when we started about the lack of otas for some of the players has hurt this team in the past i i you know you would love full participation from healthy players but you certainly like seeing the new guys out there like jarvis and hey tyron matthew in the early portion of otas looked really strong all over you began Dennis Allen had him playing multiple spots all over the place which isn't a surprise but they're, they're gonna get this guy I just feel like he and Dennis Allen are gonna they're gonna get along well and and he's gonna be moving them all over the place your point about Marcus May already being out on the field Alave Jarvis Landry Jameis Winston anything else you want to add about OTAs before we let you run Gus and as always man we appreciate you taking the time this morning um no, I, I would say I think the one thing that really stands out, and again, you know, whether it's, you know, I, it's funny because, yeah, look, I, I hear you trying to analyze this and that and what plays make uh, against defenses and in shorts, but I think what you do see that, that translates to me is team playing together, being together, and guys doing things that, that – um, that I think do play on later on. And I think it's important that you constantly keep hearing as well. Uh, just to me, it sounds like positive feedback and reviews really of, of what Dennis is and, and how he's handling things. You know, when you hear uh, Jarvis Landry say things like, Hey, I, 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 I think Dennis understands, you know, some of the things that I'm having to deal with and everything. And he was fine with me not being here and all that. It, you kind of hear that, uh, that sense of players coach, I guess to say, if that makes any sense. I think the other thing that you see, hold on Clark, um, is another thing that we're going to sort of look and see how it's a bit different. And when you talk to people in and around the team, I think one of the things that you see is a, a, a more laid back environment and an environment that um, I think is, I dare say welcomed. And, you know, I can expand on that a lot more next week. There you go. Great stuff. Gus, appreciate the time, man. Have a great weekend. We'll uh, we'll talk NCAA regionals, NBA finals, a little more Saints next week. As always, man, guys, give them a follow at GCAT underscore one seven and tell uh, the, uh, the graduate Carver that I said what's up. Sounds good, Scott. Always a pleasure, man. All right, man. Bye.